We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Biggest takeaways from the zero RB watch and the non-existent Steelix signals for this week. That's what we're talking about today on Steelix Bananas. I just wanted to go with the same title. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretch. You can find my Substack, which I'll be writing some off-season stuff at bengretch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find his great work at Rotovis. Sean did the Zero RB watch this week as sort of a, a recap. We're not really, I guess, going to focus on the biggest takeaways from our research this week. But we are going to talk about some fun stuff from week 17, from the season. Uh, Sean, I think you wanted to review one of our drafts a little bit that finished really strong here in week 17. How you doing, though? How you doing? Uh, you know, obviously, we did the sort of bonus episode, I guess. We, we pulled out the Monday episode again to talk about the fun sweat you had for Monday night. It was a, it was a fun sweat at the end. Jarvis Landry had a shot to the end zone. I got a lot of messages, a lot of people who listened to that, who were pulling for for Landry, who was not looking over the right shoulder for the ball. Uh, I just talked to you about it a little bit before. I'm laughing. Um, it's not. It's not. It's not particularly funny. You mentioned the first thing you thought of this morning was was that play. How, how you feeling? How you feeling, buddy? Good. Good. Right. I mean, I was joking with you that I I. Took a little trip this afternoon, got some cookies and diet soda, sort of drowning the sorrows there. It was tough, right? I mean, it was exciting. And the fact that, you know, as many listeners will know, that Connor won one of our really longtime subscribers, a longtime fan of yours, uh, someone who's written some great content for Rotoviz this year. He joined the writing team. So to have him win, I mean, that was just so exciting. And it took basically all of this thing out of it. But man, I mean, you're a competitor and I mean, we're not the people actually competing. It's the folks on the field, obviously, but but you want to win. And, and I really wanted this for for Blair and, and Colin, especially, uh, you know, to have that road of his overtime, you know, overall title. There's, there's the difference between first and second. I mean, the reason that Talladega Nights resonated so well, I think, is that, I mean, we all know second place is the first loser, right? So and, uh, it, it was it was both exciting, it was rough, it was heartbreaking. You know, you, then the game started with the very second play that the Browns have. Landry goes for 20 yards, you get three points, and you're like, well, now, I mean, it's there, right? He'd have to be so bad the rest of the way for it not to work out. He gets nine more targets. Baker didn't complete another pass until he hit Landry again on the final play before the two-minute warning. That was his second completion of the game. <laughs> and, and and Colin and I kind of went through this on OT. 
it was it was a little bit cathartic to you know look at some of the weaknesses maybe that Baker Mayfield has. It wasn't a great game for him. We know he's injured. Uh, you know that kind of thing is tough. But Connor had the best team. I mean, Connor's team scored I think 790 plus points over the four weeks, and he had the consensus second pick in the draft and Dalvin Cook only factored into his lineup once. So, I mean, imagine how good that team was. So exciting for him. It was a it was a good week of football, finished off with some very bad quarterback play on Sunday night and Monday night. That kind of thing happens, especially in this season with obviously the COVID things and that type of deal. There was a big difference all the way through between wide receivers who got good quarterback play and wide receivers who didn't. Yeah, we mentioned on the previous show that it was embarrassing to have wide receiver be the weak position. It's hard to fathom not winning because we couldn't get a second wide receiver into double figures in the scoring column. When we drafted, didn't seem like DJ Moore and Jarvis Landry were going to have. Oh, God, I forgot that DJ Moore let you down so bad. Oh, man. Yeah. DJ Moore didn't get it done, Ben. I, I don't feel like I'm going to be able to have a near 100% exposure to DJ Moore next yeah. year. It was just too emotionally devastating at the end this year. Yeah, I I understand. <laughs> I, I pre-understand that you're not going to want to draft more on some of our teams when I'm going to want to draft him. Uh, I should say, uh, basically, I just want to apologize for, for laughing in that open because, I mean, we talked about it when I first asked you before we jumped on the air much more somberly uh, and, and went through it a little bit. Um, so maybe I'm just apologizing if, if Blair's listening. I know that Calm's listening. Uh, so sorry, guys, for laughing. Um, I don't know why I'm laughing. I think I'm laughing to keep him crying for you guys. Really brutal uh, outcome. And Sean and I already did kind of go through the play-by-play of, of both of us having watched it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about how obviously the Browns getting eliminated. You had a, a little concern that they might not come out looking great, but I, I did not expect them to play that terribly. When I said his, his second, uh, Baker's second completion came before the two-minute warning, I meant obviously in the first half. But, yeah, I mean, he was one for 11, I believe it was at that point, or one for 12. But Landry did have the, the immediate catch. Like you said, he had a rush attempt in between there. He had another catch there before half. And even then, at half, you're like, okay, well, he's, you know, he's got – he caught another one right after that inside the two-minute warning. He's got three catches. He's got – 36 yards, six more rushing, so 7.2 points. I mean, you already you already feel like you're there, and you're in negative script, right? And so now, like, one of the the other concerns would have been if the Browns rolled and you get a ton of, of chub. I, in fact, I, I would argue that, I mean, at least for me going into the game, my biggest concern for you guys would have been that particular scenario. The Steelers had some COVID issues on their defense. Maybe Chubb has a 25-carry game and, and they only complete, like, you know, 10 passes like they do sometimes when they only completed 16 and – and yet they threw 38 times. It was just more inadequacy from from Mayfield, unfortunately, that caused the, the the severe lack of completions and everything. But God, that was brutal. Yeah, and such a fun team. We had so much fun talking about it uh, on on the Monday show, and and how you guys got there from a really well constructed team, a team that, like you said, didn't have the receiver production it needed at the end which is the hallmark of everything that we do, everything that we talk about. And yet you guys built so intelligently to get the other elements around the receiver production that even with the receivers failing, you you hit on everything else, right? And like, typically that's meant to, to support the receivers that you're still hoping to get a ton of points out of, even though you guys did sacrifice some in your draft structure and weren't necessarily as um heavily invested in receivers in this draft but typically you know those decisions are meant to allow that you know it's not just receiver points on this team that it'll get points elsewhere it has upside elsewhere and yet you hit on all of that i mean it's just so hard like you you were talking about dj more like just imagine if that's you know a productive fourth or fifth round pick whatever it was uh at receiver for this team or if any of those late round receivers deami brown kj hamler gets hurt um, Elijah Moore stays healthy. Rondell Moore does a little bit more. You know, there's obviously paths to, to getting more production out of the late round flyers that you took. If any of that hits on for this team. Well, Elijah Moore was the guy where once he took off, 
you know, it really kind of locked us into making the playoffs. He was a big part of that, you know, advancing there. And then he goes on IR and you hear he's going to come back in week 17. And the whole time I was thinking, if we can just get through, if we can just get through, we'll have this powerhouse in the final. And then, you know, the, the week before, when you're into the final 12, you have all of these emotions because, you know, now it feels so close and so possible. And especially since, even though there were some teams that were, that were better, like Connor's team was better, I felt like we had a team that could very definitely do it with the role that some of our guys were on when you have both Adams and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, those are two top five guys. And because of kind of the weirdness of certain points in draft season, they fall to the one, two turn. And then you're like, we got this amazing gift. Now we have this team and there are some other good pieces. And even, you know, you think about all the things that worked for us, right? The fact that the, I mean, if there's anything that the Drew Lock brings, I think that he's actually like the one guy that maybe he likes a little bit better and feels more comfortable with, or is just better getting the ball to than Bridgewater, who's obviously a much better quarterback. Uh, maybe is Noah Fant. I mean, there have been some games uh, during the time when they're together where they looked like they had a little bit of a connection. And then you have those Broncos wide receivers who are out because of COVID. And suddenly Fant pops as a guy who could potentially have a big game. And then he does. And so you have that. But the the one moment of last week that was really tough was when Moore was ruled out because uh, I was so hopeful about that. I thought he was going to be the key piece. And I just kind of have this wave of foreboding roll over me where I'm like, that's going to be the difference. And it, it did. It did potentially end up. Well, it probably didn't help but, that when we talked and you asked me, I was like, yeah, Moore's the key piece to, to your I had kind of mentioned that to you last week that I, I felt like you needed the, the big week for more. I was, I was sure you're going to get it. You didn't, you didn't Sean. You didn't get the, no, DJ didn't do it. And Elijah didn't play. And, you know, he's going to come back in week 18, have a big game to finish out the season. But again, I mean, these aren't things where we're saying, you know, that we should have won or anything was unfair. It, we were very lucky and you always just kind of want to take advantage of that luck and, and hope that it carries you the whole way. Uh, having people miss because they're injured or they're on COVID. I mean, there was a team, like I mentioned in the previous show, that had Derrick Henry. And obviously that's a much bigger piece to not be having than than Elijah Moore. And so we we were very grateful about how it turned out. You had mentioned to me, I've, I've heard so many things in the last 24 hours about people uh, who listen to the show, who read some of the articles, who are rooting for us, who are rooting for Landry. And for people, you know, just... For people to be doing that for us, I mean, it's kind of hard to believe, and it just it makes you feel really good. And what an amazing community! And so, you know, we try and mention it on the show because we are really grateful for the listeners. Uh, but I don't know; it just is. It's really special to hear those kinds of things. And so, I appreciate that from everybody. I had the wrong more, but uh, <laughs> I'm following you now. My my favorite part, Sean, for the listeners, I, I want to say this is you know we did talk before. It's how you always keep your sense of humor. You always keep your optimism. You're the exact same way in real life as you are uh, on these shows, which is just a, a testament to you. And um, these are, these are, I mean, this is a brutal loss. These are tough, tough losses to swallow. I mean, I've, I've personally never been this close to, to such a, uh, you know, big tournament win. You obviously have already won huge tournaments uh, in, in your past, but Certainly any, you know, any big fantasy loss or betting loss or DFS loss. I, I heard some some stuff from, from people this week that had some some rough losses. And it can certainly eat at you a little bit. And so anyway, I just think it's a, a testament to you that you're able to maintain a little bit of, of uh, clarity and a little bit of um, your, your optimism and, and sense of humor and all of that. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun to do these these teams and these drafts and just the full season with friends, and it's been so great to do it with you. And speaking of, one of the things I wanted to ask you about for today's show, we have had some listener requests for kind of a, a 2020 wrap-up. We're going to do some different things with that throughout the next couple of weeks, some different exercises, kind of taking it from different angles. Hopefully, it doesn't feel like the same thing. We're going to be looking at some very different parts of the 2022 season, players, strategies, structures. You know, all of those kinds of things. But the kind of weird thing that happened on Monday night, and especially with that last Najee Harris touchdown, was that our Pirate Kings team, and in case that name sounds goofy to anybody, that is from Archer. So 
Uh, if you haven't watched, make sure you do that. Probably anybody listening to Rotoviz Stealing Bananas is, uh, you know, watched all the episodes of Archer three or four times because that would only make sense. So they might have that. But anyway, our team scored 209 points. Then we did this draft for the show in the preseason. It is a draft where we started Tyreek Hill, Nashi Harris, those are our one Harris team. And we finished 10 and two. We won the most points. We won the best record. We finished third in the playoff portion of our league. Obviously the four teams in FFPC advanced to that part. And then we were in the race for the $500,000 and we didn't perform particularly well in weeks 15 and 16. So we weren't necessarily following it that closely but that team has both Harris and Chase and it scored 209 points in week 17, which pulled us up to 142nd, which because of the depth of this tournament, such a big tournament, that was actually only 17 places out of the money. And I was kind of joking with you that Terry McLaurin wasn't my favorite player because some line decisions with him cost us a lot, a lot of points there. And so I kind of wanted to run through this team with you. The, the big point obviously there is that Tyreek Hill not scoring in weeks 16 and 17 helped me out in some other contests in a big way. So it's not something where, you know, even from a personal perspective, looking back and like, oh, if only this had happened, because, you know, again, you, you take the, the good things and, you know, when it doesn't work out for you somewhere else, you just obviously live with that. But Tyreek Hill's poor performances in week 16 and 17 were a big story in the fantasy season. It's tempting to say that it very likely was the result of him getting sick before the week 16 game. Now he does clear, but all of the reports were that he was in very bad shape during that game in terms of how he felt. Even then again, here in week 17, his sort of poor reality performance contributed to a loss in a game that the Chiefs are going for the number one seed. It contributed to a loss in a game that was one of the best games of the year. We, we've had quite a few games this season that maybe didn't have the quarterback play necessary to be fun. We've had some bad games, but some truly amazing games too. Ben, you and I have talked a lot about the Bengals. We don't need to do that again, but this is a fantastic game. One of the key plays was a Tyreek Hill drop on what I believe was like a 60-yard pass. So that obviously would have really boosted his score in week 17 for all of the different managers who needed that score for best ball or for moving up in you know any sort of season-long tournament there what are your thoughts now in terms of hill as we look at kind of starting this draft out we go with hill we come with harris in the wraparound harris also interesting because until week 17 he'd been both the positive side that we talked about and the negative side we talked about in that his workload was perfect right everything that you want from a first or second round running back, but how he played on the field and how he took advantage of that really revealed or manifested a lot of the concerns that we had and that he doesn't create big plays. He doesn't actually gain yardage after he breaks tackles. He's fairly indecisive and doesn't use all of his athleticism. He has a bad offensive line that he's running behind. Steelers offensive line came through in week 17 and Harris actually created the big plays. It'll be interesting to see how that moves into next season, first round pick, second round pick. How do you feel about how we started this draft? Uh, I mean, you know, hindsight's 2020. Um, I, I, I'd have to listen back, but I'm pretty confident that we were looking at Taylor and Barkley. Those were the two guys that we were really focused on. And most of our Barkley teams did not pan out. We had a ton of Jonathan Taylor, which was fantastic. Both those guys went before Harris. And so that was when we were like, okay, this is going to be, you know, the Harris team. And so we, we kind of settled on that pick a little bit, I think. And we definitely settled on McLaurin in the third. We were um, very focused on TJ Hawkinson there. Uh, I don't think we had made up our mind in the fourth, but we're considering even going DeAndre Swift for another running back. He ends up going in the, in the turn around three, four, but Hawkinson made it back. So we were pretty stoked that, we got this great value on Terry McLaurin at 309. Felt like we had a little bit of a unique build because of it. And then got Hawkinson still in the fourth. We ended up taking Chase in the fifth. We took Debo, which we did in a lot of leagues, later in the seventh. Uh, got James Conner on this team. So there's a lot of elements that went well. That's why we had a strong regular season and, and, and won the total points and won the win-loss. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's interesting that both Harris and McLaurin were not players that we took anywhere else. Uh, I didn't have them on any of my other teams. You and I did not uh, really even discuss them on any of our other major drafts. I mean, we did talk a, little, a, a good amount about Harris, actually, towards the end. Um, McLaurin was just one where, at his price, it didn't make a lot of sense for us. But when he fell to that point in, in the late third and you know, CeeDee Lamb had gone, a lot of other guys that were potential options there had gone. We, you know, we were willing to, to, to pull a trigger there, but yeah, my big takeaway from these first couple of rounds in hindsight, at least is it's tough that we lost on guys that we weren't really on. They weren't the dudes that we wanted in all of our drafts. And so there were a couple of guys that felt a little different from our draft plan where we made an adjustment and some of our concerns about them proved to be true. And, and for whatever reason, that just after the end of the season, certainly when, when it plays out that way, and they aren't necessarily as key pieces. Certainly Harris's big game was huge for anyone who was still uh, alive with him. And he, and he was good enough all year that you could have been. I'm not saying he was bad, but, you know, the concern at the early second round is does he have the ceiling to be, uh, you know, as Pat Corain wrote about in the offseason, that legendary running back ceiling. And we didn't see that this year. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I'm just looking at it from this perspective of they, they weren't necessarily our targets, and it's tough to go down with a team that hit on Chase and hit on Debo and hit on all these other elements, and hit on Connor, and it was our best team. You know, the Najee production stabilized the team throughout the year and the touches and everything else, but it was tough to to kind of go down in the big tournament not having the the ceiling that we wanted for most of it, at least until here in Week 17. You mentioned we had a big ceiling. Because in part of players that we had ceiling concerns on, on draft day. Now, the rest of the players in this area, one of the reasons why we went with Harris was that we weren't really that excited about the next group of guys. Hopkins, Metcalf, who uh, had a, a very disappointing season again until week 17 where he scores those three touchdowns. Kittle, Antonio Gibson, uh, someone we liked, but some of the issues that actually did plague him were starting to crop up by this time and pushed him down on our board a little bit. And then Justin Jefferson at the 209, A.J. Brown at the 211, probably really the next two guys we were interested in. And we were still hoping that maybe we would get a draft pick toward the early parts where we could take them without making the big reach. So I think that this worked out pretty well. Jefferson just so interesting because he did do what we kind of saw as being the upside outcome for him. And, you know, it, it would have been nice to have more Jefferson. One of the things I was just kind of noting here before, before the show was looking at Hill and to see kind of how he performed down the stretch. Hill on the season actually had a wide receiver three or worse performance 56% of the time. I just to give a little bit of a context, Jefferson was only at 19% in that category. Now, we know that these performances are going to fluctuate a little bit. I mean, nobody is a high-end wide receiver one every game. But the fact that Hill didn't score down the stretch, had some other games that were less impressive. We know that at times during the season, defenses were able to take away some of the deep shots. This season for Hill, he had 36 targets, more than 15 yards down the field, only caught 16 of them. And so the Chiefs definitely left some potential yards on the field, including in week 17, where he actually is there for the long pass and drops it. I think a lot more of those targets will be completed next season. But when you see what Jefferson has done, when you see what Jamar Chase has done, which I really think brings Chase right back into the conversation for a first round pick next year. Now, I know that when people kind of look at the full numbers and the immensity of this 55-point gain kind of dissipates a little bit, and they think in terms of all these running back values who won't be available later, they convince themselves they're going to hit on this year's Chase and Cup and Samuel, and they let those guys fall, and they've got your running backs, that you know it's going to be tough for someone to take Chase in the first round next year uh, when he's back in this similar situation where Tyler Boyd's going to siphon targets, T. Higgins is going to siphon targets, but you look at Jefferson and Chase, and you look at how Tyreek Hill finished this season. Is Hill a lock for the first round again next year? I'm really interested in, in 2022 ADP. I don't know that I have um, any – I mean, I think he should be. I don't know if I have any strong reads on how it's going to play out necessarily 
some of the early looks I've seen, I mean, I'll just be blunt, like a lot of them look wrong to me. The market has gotten sharper over time. I think people understand, you know, a lot of a lot of elements of of the, you know things that we've talked about a lot a lot of things that can be pitfalls in the early rounds there are i mean an example i would give is is josh jacobs from 2019 to 2020 i don't feel like his situation changed much at all he was a you know basically a one two turn second round type pick in 2019 he was a fifth sixth rounder in 2020 the irony the sort of hilarious element of his 2020 season is he did actually start catching the passes. I think the big reason he fell so much was sort of the, the recognition that the, the lack of receiving, like what that meant. Uh, maybe there was more certainty that he wouldn't get the receiving than there, than the, there was more hope for that in 2019 than there was in 2020. But then the, you know, as I mentioned, the, the kind of funny part is that he actually had a pretty solid receiving season this year, but that is an example to me of the market adjusting from one year to the next from a guy who was a big, pretty big talking point in 2019 to the 2020 season, recognizing that. I think the the running back dead zone being a huge talking point this past offseason, really taking hold in, in draft season as a huge you know discussion point was good for it wasn't good for us. It was it was improving the ADP toward what I think is more optimal. It's certainly still not perfect, but I do think over time drafters get better and get smarter about things. One player I got asked about recently was like Ezekiel Elliott, where he's going to go next year. He was a really, you know, lightning rod type player this year in the first round. There were people that loved him. There were a lot of people that were very concerned about him and said basically they wouldn't even take him until the third round or, or later. Obviously, not a guy that we were particularly on. I don't like. I, I sometimes think the early looks at ADP and the early discussions assume that the people who were on Ezekiel Elliott didn't hear the other side of that and won't respond at all. Because I think a lot of those people are, you know, they they sort of knew what the risks were, and then the way that that plays out for that type of a pick, they have to then reconsider if they want to make those types of picks in the future, right? And and it's not going to shift for everyone. But I do think that, you know, there was a lot of people that wouldn't have probably even touched Zeke. And I think his, his ADP was elevated by a, a small group of people that were in on him. If the if that group of people sort of shifts the way that they're thinking about things, right, then doesn't that shift ADP in, in, a, in a meaningful way or could for a very similar player uh, next year, whoever that, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. I'm kind of making an abstract point right now, but. I'm hearing discussions like, and I think when you've talked about it, you seem to believe that there's going to be a lot of running backs. I, I, I think it'll be interesting, man. Um, I think it'll be interesting because I think Tyreek should be a first round pick pretty clearly. And I, I, I guess I have more faith in the market to recognize that as well, to start paying attention. Yeah, those are a lot of good points. I, I do think that this idea that there are certain types of players who perhaps for more risky, but still have a lot of upside or they appeal to a certain subset of drafters. And I would put Derrick Henry in that category too, because it's not just the players who struggle like Elliot, who maybe only have a certain group. There are also players like Henry who, I mean, he was absolutely fantastic before the injury when I think most drafters are probably not as high on him as his ADP, which I don't think you would really say for most of the other picks in the top seven or eight. I think most drafters would probably take those guys. But for Elliot, for Henry, it's a particular drafter who wants them. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I don't think that Henry would have fallen a long way. I, I think there's a pretty big group that if he falls from, you know, six, seven, eight to say where Taylor and Barkley were starting to go. I mean, there are a lot of people, including the two of us, now we were higher on Taylor especially until at the very end where there were some pretty big red flags, one of which was just this idea that Carson Wentz might not be available at a key time, which almost happened, right? And so that was something that came into play a little bit. It's it's hard to say, you know, if the Colts might have played a better overall game and it probably would have had more effect on the passing game perhaps than the running game in week 17. But if you've been able to practice all week, that kind of thing. But 
when Taylor and Barkley fell to where they fell, there are a lot of people who really are pretty focused on, say, the Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and maybe an elite tight end who, when those guys, you know, come into the early second round, they're like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be very hard to pass on that type of player there. So I don't think that, that Henry would have fallen very far, but an interesting point there. And just uh, a point of clarity to, uh, in terms of me listening to it, making sure I'm following, when you're talking about Josh Jacobs, you're, you're thinking 20 and 2021, right? Not nineteen to twenty. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh it's twenty twenty two now, Sean. It's a it's a new year. I, I got to get my numbers right. No, but um, I should also make another point of, of clarification. The the early so I'm referring to seeing some early twenty twenty two stuff. I, I guess what I feel like I'm seeing is sort of what I feel like I see with the early stuff a lot, which is who are going to be the top running backs. Where do we slot them in the top five, top seven, top nine? You know how many running backs can we jam into the top of the draft who, who like that? Like that's the only discussion point. And I think the lack of the legendary running back seasons this year, other than really Taylor took off, but I think that's going to have an impact on, on drafters. Now there wasn't elite receiver seasons necessarily uh, like just absolutely monster seasons from the top, right? Obviously cup came out of the later rounds. You're talking about people are going to think that they can hit the next cup chase all of that but the fact that essentially there were no elite seasons from either position or, or true true just like monster seasons from either from either position in the top rounds i don't think it has necessarily the same effect maybe i, I guess the way i'm thinking of it is the people that have drafted running backs that high have, have largely acknowledged that there is risk there but they just think it is so important to get a running back and this season is going to hit that mentality, I think, a little bit harder. I think it kind of has to, and it opens some people up to being willing to consider essentially just talent in the first round. Who is the best player? And I think it's hard to make – I'm seeing some of these rankings, and, and I just like Najee Harris, for example, two guys that we took here. I'm seeing Harris go ahead of Hill in a lot of, a lot of places. I think it will be hard for, for some people, at least the ones that are you know willing to rethink this, to to immediately put Harris from a talent perspective, especially like position agnostic talent perspective ahead of Hill uh, in terms of like what uh, a ceiling is and, and what can really win you your league. What who can have this monster ceiling? You know, I, and I'm not saying necessarily I'm completely out on Harris or anything like that, but I have seen him being being put in the top five, top five picks. He just had a monster game. We're coming off, you know, obviously a fantastic game. But for me, I think it's tough. I think you have to be somewhat position agnostic in the first round. And I think drafters are going to be more aware of that. And I, I, we saw that really after the the last time we didn't have a legendary season was really 2015, the year that the Devonta Freeman was the, the RB one. And we saw like Antonio Brown go one Oh two the next year. You know, we saw people respond and say, well, I can take receivers as high. Actually, there's not, I'm not actually guaranteeing anything at running back. And, and maybe it won't be that clear this year, for some of the other reasons you've mentioned with the elites, you know, receivers coming out of the, the the running back dead zone and some of the other later factors. I do think at the top, though, a lot of people who took running backs earlier are going to be like, I want to consider whether, you know, head to head, I think this player is better than that player, which is probably the way to do it. Yeah. And you mentioned some of the lack of this elite running back season. I think a lot of people are going to look at Jonathan Taylor and say, he's so good and so young and so athletic that the monster upside is there at the same time there are going to be some listeners who are like especially over the last month what taylor became was basically just derrick henry who you guys are out on so it's a little bit inconsistent to be so high on him and to act like henry is someone you can't pick and so i think there's some truth to that and so you know it's interesting because you know during the, the adrian peterson era if you really look at the scoring, I was very adamant that you always wanted to have Calvin Johnson as the 101. And I think that that was right. Now, when you have the Christian McCaffrey type of season as a possibility, and you would even kind of push back a little bit, I think justifiably so, on the idea that Taylor was the 101, right? That it could still be McCaffrey, even with two seasons of injury, because he's the guy who can do that. If you're concerned about McCaffrey and you look at the, the workload from Taylor and say, you know, with Carson Wentz and how he developed with the offense and how it developed and the fact that they actually got so confident in Taylor, they just wanted to give him the ball every play. 
which in some ways took away from a little bit of the receiving upside. And then the fact that he and Wentz actually really struggled to execute some of the simplest passes that they did draw for him in some of those games down the stretch. If you're looking at a more as a Derrick Henry type of player, then even at the 101, if Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers are back together next season, I think that that would be in play. Because what we're trying to get here is a superstar wide receiver with an elite quarterback. I mean, you think about all the wide receivers who became just a, a shell of themselves. I mean, we mentioned McLaurin in the last week. We know all the things with DJ Moore. So if you don't have that quarterback, then it really changes who the receiver is. Obviously, Matthew Stafford has made such a powerful argument for himself. A lot of people talking about the fact that Calvin Johnson, Cooper Cup, two of the greatest receivers ever, Matthew Stafford, the guy pulling the trigger for both of those guys. And, you know, we look at that, and that's one of the reasons, too, why you mentioned, you know, Hill has to be in the first round. I think that he does, too. I think that some of these low-scoring games are a little bit fluky. When you have a player like that, with 4-2 speed and Patrick Mahomes as the guy under center, it'd be very difficult to pass on that, especially when the Chiefs and Andy Reid have actually even been pretty good at creating value in the games where Patrick Mahomes missed. There's not that many guys and teams who can necessarily do that. So I do like those picks. Ben, after the break, we're going to go through a few of the more controversial selections and maybe one of the heartbreaking moves that we lamented at the point of the draft that did come back to haunt us. Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, everything you need to help you for that in-season success as a loyal podcast listener you can get yourself a 10 percent discount to a rotoviz nfl pass just by adding the code rv radio 2021 at checkout or go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information let's go get those championships i hope you enjoy the podcast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So then a couple of the picks that we made that didn't quite work out, Chase Claypool, one of the things that we targeted, and this is actually going to be a point of discussion for one of the future shows, but some of these teams that came in with three receivers, we thought the offense was going to be pretty high powered. If someone was hurt, they would potentially really blow up. Kind of worked out for Deontay Johnson. He had a very good season. Chase Claypool, not so much. Obviously, our guy Juju 
Uh, hurt early on, wasn't able to contribute, but Claypool, a bust in this Steelers offense that didn't turn out to be high-powered. Michael Gallup misses a big chunk of the season with injury. Will Fuller, you know, I, I love Will, and I legitimately think that when he is healthy, he is one of the top, you know, 10 to 12 wide receivers in football, but he just doesn't seem to want to play. <laughs> so, you know, at some point I've got to start treating him a little bit like A.J. Green, who got to a point in his career much later on than Will Fuller. I mean, A.J. Green, you know, a, a guy who was a, a pro bowler for a long, long time, but just, you know, I don't know. You, you've got to find a way to get out there. So that pick didn't work out. But we have a lot of guys we like on this team. You had mentioned T.J. Hawkinson. That was a pick that we were really excited about. It played out well for most of the season. One of the reasons why we didn't have as much upside in the playoff portion, in the race portion, was obviously him being lost. James Conner pans out, Devin Singletary. Unfortunately, Ben, we, we, we released him, which was something that was disappointing. But the positive side on that is that the replacement, Deontay Foreman, had a very nice game in Week 17. He was part of that big 209-point score. I was very happy with how that part of it played out. We have Cole Komet. Unfortunately, not all of his games corresponded with what we needed when TJ Hawkinson was gone, but I think he was a legit tight end too. I'm very excited for him in 2022. I think he's going to take the next step and be one of these league-winning guys. It'll be interesting to see how the Bears pan out and just so many of the things that are going to happen with that organization next year. And then I don't want us to get super bogged down with the next guy other than to kind of look at some of the decisions here and you know what we should have done if it was the right play people know what we think of justin fields they know what we think of joe burrow but we took a risk in round 13 because both fields and burrow were falling so far and we wanted to try and get them both and we were making this judgment of who was likely to fall further and maybe who would give us more playoff upside obviously the rushing quarterbacks and we saw it this year with Jalen Hurts he wasn't necessarily a big playoff hammer but a fantastic regular season fantasy QB we know that rushing upside matters we know that some young players have made a big impact so we decided to go for fields and wrist burrow coming back to us he was taking two picks ahead of us and we were devastated at the time we couldn't believe that we had missed this late round opportunity to pair him with Jamar Chase. And <laughs> obviously the fact that T Higgins goes off in week 16 and Chase goes off in week 17. And we were stuck playing Derek Carr, who no longer had any of his weapons. Derek Carr, he's another guy, very high on him for 2022. I think if they get the pieces behind him, obviously Darren Waller, hopefully healthy. We know they're going to have to make a move at wide receiver because of the tragic things that happened there. What are your thoughts? Knowing kind of how it panned out and knowing we were disappointed at the time. I mean, is it a clear cut thing that we should have just taken Burrow, if not even in this 13, 14 range, but that we should have taken these guys in 12 and 13 and not risked it? My thoughts are that you just broke my heart. to, to bring, I had forgotten about the, these specifics. <laughs> Uh, is it? I mean, you, you had a, a rough week this week. Is it? Did you just want me to feel some misery too? You got you got to share it around a little bit. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I I was a driving force on Fields, obviously. Um, I, I mean, I know you, you were very high on him too, and we we made this decision. It's it's recorded somewhere, but we made this decision very specifically to try to get Burrow. I remember this like it was yesterday. Now that you 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 discuss it, and I think even after Burrow went, we kind of knew. And I don't even know if we discussed it on air or after we were off, but that was the mistake during the draft, basically. Like we knew right after the draft that we wanted the quarterback upside. We made the gamble, but for this team to have the right upside, Chase was going to have to be huge because we had taken Harrison Hawkinson in the second and fourth and, and Chase was our third receiver there in the fifth round. And we, we wanted, you know, we wanted to make that bet. You know, we'd already made that bet is the way I would frame it. Um, and so Burrow was going to have to be huge, right? And so Fields was another path to that. We had taken Komet as well. 
it was kind of getting a little greedy, I think, to try to get everything to fall your way, knowing that this is such a huge tournament and you want as many different, you know, paths to ceiling. And Burrow had been slipping at this time. There was all the bad reports about his knee. You know, we were talking about potentially getting him at 1404. He he didn't go that late frequently, but he had been falling. I mean, I'm I'm I'd love to go back and listen to it, but I'm pretty sure we were looking at, you know, recent drafts as we always are in the uh the command center, the road of his uh, draft tool that is so helpful and feeling like there was at least a coin flip probably, or, or better that we would also get burrow. But I do, I do remember at the time, you know, looking at that and we ended up taking both Fitzpatrick and Mayfield later and taking three quarterbacks. Cause we were kind of telling ourselves, I think in, in, on one hand that we needed to get some quarterback upset early in the season because fields wasn't necessarily going to start. But also that, you know, we needed to try to solve this, this sort of issue that we had created a quarterback because we wait, we did wait a very long time for quarterback, but still tried to kind of have our cake and eat it too. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think at the time of the draft, we sort of knew that this was the mistake that um, could cost us. And then you look back at it and it's just, it couldn't have been uh, more clear, obviously. And if you talk about how we missed the, um, the money line in the playoffs by 12 spots, Certainly having Joe Burrow in there would not have hurt uh, our efforts to try to get to that to that spot. I think on this team, we started Fitzpatrick week one, probably. I know we did it in a couple spots. So looking back at this now, I mean, even just having Burrow early in the season where he threw multiple touchdowns the first like seven or eight weeks, even though he wasn't throwing a ton. One of the cool things about Burrow in the places you had him was that he was throwing for touchdowns and you were getting at least a floor uh, then he had a little bit of a, a, a lull where he had a, a no touchdown game and then three straight one TD games after that in weeks nine to 13. Obviously comes back and is, is a monster in the playoffs. But, yeah, I mean, that one pick alone, Sean, I, 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 it's not one of those things where we wouldn't have won this league, I don't think, had we made that because of you know something that might have happened in the regular season. I think we still would have been fine with our quarterback points. Uh, with Burrow, and then in, in in getting to the shootout portion, this team would have had quite a bit more upside. When you look back at what we did here through the first nine rounds, we had six wide receivers, one running back, one tight end. That's the structure that we like. We had upside in that one running back, in that one tight end. I'm sorry, seven wide receivers, one running back and one tight end and then in round 10 we got connor he was obviously a, a fantasy mvp we got singletary and that actually played out unfortunately after we had had to make some moves now those moves also worked pretty well for us then we added amon Ra st brown who ended up being i believe the highest scoring wide receiver in the playoffs one of the things that every once in a while you run into some trouble with is that if you are as loaded at wide receiver as we are, that you you don't hit on the right guy in the playoffs. And so we had a week there where we did move him out because we were concerned about the quarterback play in Detroit. Obviously, Tim Boyle hadn't looked particularly good until that week 16 game where he and Amon Ra hooked up for a lot of very impressive plays. And then we did get the big game from St. Brown in week 17, playing him over our third round pick. And so, you know, you know that, and that was how... Part of why we, we made the move to sit him in week 16 was to to play the third-round pick, Terry McLaurin, and be like, look, if we're going to get back in this thing, we need a third-round pick to play the third-round pick. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are doing really well that also have Hallman Ross St. Brown ahead of us, and so sort of a you know contrarian move. I don't think in a vacuum that's necessarily the move that we loved, but that was something we discussed, was kind of giving our third-round pick a chance to be what we picked him for um, from a overall contest perspective. And once again, another thing that costs us. I mean, the Devin Singletary thing uh, as well. I, I, I was pushing that one, uh, that cut. I, I want to point out on Singletary, this dude just ripped off four rushing TDs in the last three weeks. He entered that three-week stretch with six rushing TDs in his career. He now has 10. And this is his third season. He's basically played every game. He missed four games his rookie year. He had played... 25, 30, 41 games and had six rushing TDs in his career. And he just ripped off four in the last three games. 
Explain that to me, Sean. Well, I, part of it is the Bills actually realized that he's a good player and allowed him to get out there. Uh, the big problem here, and the reason that he was so inexpensive that he's going in the 11th round, is that the Bills hadn't committed to him. They have Zach Moss, who they have soured on now to an extent, although I don't think that Moss's career is over by any stretch. But if you're going to have a pass-heavy offense, if you're going to have Josh Allen take a ton of the high leverage rushing attempts, even when they're not passing, then you, you need to have one RB. And that's kind of the way that worked out down the stretch. I think that Singletary has played himself into being a fantasy factor in the future, but there's going to always be some risk there. Uh, he's someone it'll be interesting to see if he falls into that dead zone. If he slips all the way through the dead zone again, I don't think that that's impossible, even though he was such a big part of the playoffs for uh, some of these best ball teams. It'll be interesting to track where he is next season. Looking at some of these misses or some of the, the plays that didn't actually work out, when I see Chase Claypool there in the sixth round, then I don't really like any of the wide receivers who were in the interim between Claypool and our next pick of Debo Samuel. I, in retrospect, it just seems absolutely crazy that Samuel was available there now. You know, we had him higher than this. I mean, that's one of those things that's easy to say in retrospect. He was a priority target in some of the content that we put out before the season. So it's not like we just lucked into him because he fell to this spot. It's one of these things where you do need to understand ADP and you want to get the most powerful team you have. And you also want to act as a little bit of a check on yourself and your own enthusiasm by not reaching too much and having missed something because you have a blind spot. But Loading up on Samuel in this range, trying not to reach for him too much before that. The guys drafted in between those two players, Smith-Schuster, obviously the injury there, Tyler Boyd, not the player who worked out with the Bengals, Odell Beckham, Kenny Galladay, Antonio Brown, Corey Davis. You can understand why those guys were picked, but they weren't players that we were on. Then we have Samuel coming back around. Devontae Smith goes, Cortland Sutton, Marquez Calloway. Uh, Smith's somebody I, I was pretty interested in, but it, it definitely didn't work out for him because the Eagles don't pass the ball. The really interesting one there is after we picked Michael Gallup in the eighth, and it, he'll be another interesting guy next year because we don't know exactly what his situation will be, but we kind of were robbed of seeing what he might be able to do with a fuller season. But the pick right after him, Jalen Waddle, now he was on our Chasing Stolen Bananas team with Pat and Pete, one of the guys who kind of pulled that team into the fantasy playoffs. But Slightly more interesting players actually in this range where he goes there. Michael Pittman had a pretty strong year. Michael Thomas obviously misses the season, but Darnell Mooney emerges as the number one for the Bears. Brandon Cooks has a surprisingly good season when you consider the turmoil in Houston. And then Mike Williams, the breakout player, uh, at least over the first month of the season. Then he had some big plays. He had the big play in week 17. And so uh, he's been a part of the Chargers surge at times. And then we picked Will Fuller. So it was actually that gap between our eighth and ninth picks where a lot of interesting players went. Would that be your analysis as well? Are there guys that you wish we had taken? Am I wrong about that earlier? Yeah, I want all of them instead of Gallup, who was another guy that I was excited about. <laughs> if you would have drafted this team on your own, it would have been a lot better. That's not remotely true. People can go back and listen to the show and find out that's not remotely true. But Ben, there are a lot of cool guys in that group. Yeah, I, I mean, Waddle was a great one to have in a couple spots that we had him. Uh, Pittman was not a guy I was particularly on, or Mooney, and those guys were good this year. My my concern with Pittman sort of throughout, and I think kind of going forward, was the overall ceiling. He did start to step up the target rate late. For part of the season, I was comparing to sort of like uh, like the Marvin Jones, as we talk about, where like maybe he's more of a wide receiver too. We know the Colts are going to address wide receiver, or I would expect they will. T.Y. Hilton on his last legs. They really had no other options in the passing game. And so the fact that he was sort of in this offense that didn't have anything else to really draw from his targets, and he was still, you know, as much as he was performing well, not earning targets at a particularly high level, to me was saying, okay, into the future for the rest of his career, when he does play alongside other good receivers, this could be a problem. He could be more of this secondary receiver who's a 15 to 17, you know, percent targets per out run guy, as opposed to a 20 to 25%, like you want to see from an elite receiver. Uh, he, but like I said, he did have some better games late in the year. 
will be interesting to look at him the rest of the offseason. Mooney had a great year all year. I mean, obviously, you mentioned the turmoil in Houston for Cooks, very, very much the case in, in Chicago as well throughout the season. I thought he performed very well relative to his situation. And, yeah, I mean, Mike Williams was fantastic early, then just completely non-existent for a while. And, one, one, I mean, he's one of the clear guys where I think you look at his whole season, you say it was, it was a very good year. But the the sequencing of it, it just is going to really impact the way that you think about it, depending on where you're at, if you went and traded for him or, or any of those things, and then and then experience a downturn. There's always a few players that have these really streaky seasons. Uh, most of the analysis will suggest that we shouldn't read in that too much. We should look at the full season numbers. If you look at his full season numbers, I mean, career high in yardage, career, uh, second second career high in touchdowns, very strong year overall. I mean, yeah, this this is a, a – I don't think uh, anyone would question that this is a very strong stretch. I mean, Waddle obviously being the the prize. Uh, a big lesson for me. I wasn't particularly high on him. A big lesson for me, I think, in in terms of even when there's rookies that you're not necessarily high on, it, it's just so important. This is something that you've always kind of beat into me, but it's it's so important to be exposed to all of the the class of receiver that has that type of upside that you can. I mean, it's the same case with Pittman and Mooney being the second-year receivers. But we're, we're, we're looking at rookie receivers in these ranges. Typically, we're looking at second-year receivers in these ranges. Gallup and Fuller, a little bit more veterans, probably didn't have the same upside. I mean, my hope for Gallup was obviously that he didn't get hurt, but that the, the passing offense was fantastic in Dallas. And then potentially, like we talked about with these other offenses, if Lamb or Cooper were to miss some time, you can see some past. You look at like the stuff that Dalton Schultz did this year. You can see some past to a healthy Gallup season where he's doing uh, some of the sort of Dalton Schultz type stuff in some of those weeks where Schultz had to step up and, and did step up. And, and Schultz obviously proved that he's a very good player as well. Gallup, maybe not a good enough talent at this stage, but I think there was reasons to like him. At the same time, we missed out on some some players that were in the the rookie and second year classes that we're looking at all of the ones right after that that were in that group, they did pan out. And yeah, I mean, I think that's the key lesson there. It'll be really interesting to see where some of these young guys go after we've had just this, you know, monster season with the final game with Chase, where we had Waddle really as just such a big factor until kind of shut down here in week 17. If you had him in your fantasy championship lineup, then you're going to be a little bit disappointed, but the next class, I mean, you hear conflicting things. We don't know how players are going to test. We don't know exactly who's going to declare. We don't know where they'll be drafted, you know, how early or to what teams. But we've got a, a very exciting prospect season in front of us. And then how that plays out. Uh, obviously, Dynasty, we're very invested and excited about that. You and I have a lot of picks for our Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty team that we've done a lot of content for on the show. And then as it goes back into redraft, I mean, it, it's a lot of fun now, I think, that we've accelerated so much that rookies at the wide receiver position are just having a huge influence on how redraft leagues go as well. It's great to not have to be like, okay, well, just wait for year two. We know everybody's not going to be Chase. Everybody's not going to be Waddle. We got some disappointments. I mean, Rondell Moore didn't do what we were hoping. You know, so there are some balancing types of cases, but what the ADPs, kind of like you're saying, it, it's it, as these new leagues release and the early best ball stuff, one of the best parts about that is just seeing where, where guys are going in drafts. So we'll be looking forward to all of that. Then we got to let the listeners go now, but we'll be back soon for anybody who is excited to hear from Connor. We've obviously talked about him a lot. He's going to be on our next Rotoviz Overtime show. And so if you're if you're intrigued to hear what he's going to say about his massive fantasy title, you can join us for that. You and I will be back later in the week. We've got some fun concepts, topics we're going to go over. And until that point, we'll, uh, we'll leave it here for now. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretchen. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. If you haven't already, as Ben mentioned, he's going to have some cool off-season content for you. You'll want to get that. Uh, join us at Rotoviz. You can get the 
RV Radio discount using the coupon code RV Radio 2021. That'll be updated soon to 2022, but I think that's still the code as it is today. Subscribe to the feed. Look at these shows when we came out. We had the bonus show earlier this week. You don't want to miss that. And then if you get a chance, drop us a rating and review. We always appreciate those. Refresh it if you've left one. Uh, you guys have been more than generous to us, so don't feel pressured to do that, but we love it when it does come through. Can't wait to talk to you guys again. We'll see you soon. Bye.